You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. God is doing something now in this day, something special. This was a grand introduction to a new age, and the Jews had the front row seat to it. They were the ones who got to hear about it first because salvation is from who? The Jews, right? Salvation comes from the Jews, and so it's to the Jews first. And when God was beginning a new thing, He didn't do it quietly. He put it very publicly, and He had them gathered from all over the world and brought them in, and then He did this miraculous sign for their sake. If a brand new mall opened up in town with all the latest and greatest features, wouldn't it be quite the event? It would be a big ordeal. There would be a grand opening with a full-on celebration, ribbon cutting and all. Pastor Tom teaches us in today's message about the grand opening, if you will, of the church. During the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon His church and gifted them with the gift of tongues, declaring the wonderful works of God. Wouldn't that have got your attention? Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Gift of Tongues, Reversal of Babel. So all of these languages from this wide, scattered locations, many of these places, they were being spoken, and they were being spoken one after another, and they were being spoken miraculously in front of a large crowd of these Jews. In fact, Luke equates the tongues that they spoke on that day with another term for language. It's found, look down in verse 8, and it's translated as language, but it's dialectos, and you might hear an English word we get from that, and that is dialect. Dialect. That's just another normal word for a normal human language, but it stresses the characteristics of a particular region, the dialect that would develop there. So clearly these disciples were not speaking in some ecstatic utterance. That's commonly heard in charismatic and Pentecostal churches. I know because I've spent plenty of time in my life in them, and I know what has been heard and what is there, and it's pretty common, and it basically is what we would call, or they call to, ecstatic utterance. Ecstatic utterances are not languages. They've been recorded. They've been studied in detail. Often they just repeat the same syllables over and over, changing from one syllable to another, back to a third, or some other highly repetitive kind of outbursts. It's nonsensical. It's not language. There's no order to it. It doesn't take a linguist to understand that what's being heard is not a language. They're not speaking in any kind of discernible language at all. Modern ecstatic speech is not a miracle. It is a human phenomenon. It has been well documented. It goes on throughout the world, even in non-Christian groups. All kinds of religious groups in their worship speak in ecstatic utterances. The same was true in ancient times. People of ancient times were well aware of ecstatic utterances. They were spoken by many of the Greek oracles as they consulted their gods, which in that case would have been demonic. When worshipers worked themselves up into a state of intense emotion, it would often increase the ecstatic utterances. Ecstatic speech would not be anything noteworthy for Luke to take time to record and say, wow, look at this. People back then, as now, would hardly be impressed with such a phenomenon. It would not attract the attention of thousands, and even if it did, it wouldn't lead to the conversion of thousands of people, as we see here. 
Indeed, outsiders today, when they hear about churches who break out speaking in ecstatic speech in their worship services or by themselves, are not convinced that anything noteworthy is occurring at all. It may be strange to some ears, but it's certainly not miraculous. Since ecstatic speech is fairly common, and it's fairly common without the Holy Spirit, it's not something all that impressive. Pentecost, however, was miraculous, and it was very impressive. I wish I could have been there. That would have been just amazing. I'm even trying to figure out how would that sound. If you love language and you love the diversity of language, maybe this would be impressive to you and you wish that you could hear it. Because they were praising God and they were doing it miraculously in language they had never spoken. Imagine the speaker and hearing the things that were coming out of their mouth. Imagine being one of those people and you realize, wow, what is happening here? It's, the tongue is being driven in some miraculous way. The brain is even being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just imagine that. It's kind of like in that movie, The Matrix, you, know, you have an instant download of knowledge, except this time it would be Rosetta Stone or something. You know, just dial up 15 languages. I'd like this one, this one, this one, this one. Your head shakes a little bit and you come out and you say it, except none of that happened. That's sci-fi. This is real. This happened in history. Now, the actual words are not recorded. But they're probably similar to scriptural words of praising God for his mighty deeds, like Psalm 106.2. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or can show forth all his praise? Maybe like Mary's words in Luke 1.51. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Or Psalm 150 in verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So there it is. That is what the gift of tongues is, talking in different languages. There it is, and it's a miracle. Now, that leads us to a second question, and it's just a natural question that would kind of fall out here as you're reading and you're trying to understand and interpret. You'd want to know why. I know what, but why? Why was the gift of tongues given? Why did the Lord do this on this day? Again, this isn't really that hard to perceive. Please notice that the filling of the Holy Spirit prompted a chorus of praises to God. And look at verse 6. It indicates that their praises in these other languages were either so loud within the house or more likely by now pouring out into the streets that that noise of them calling out the praises of God in these different languages drew a larger and larger crowd of interest in Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand that these ancient cities were small by our standards. So something that is happening a few streets over can be heard here. I mean, none of the ancient cities were really large by our standards today. Rome was the largest city in the ancient world that had ever been known, and I think it had around a million people. Columbia, greater Columbia, has 100,000. But Jerusalem was much smaller. It was all packed in there, and the streets are narrow. And so there's something probably pouring out into the square. Maybe there is a little larger of a square. Some have said, well, the only place they could handle a crowd like that would have been up in the temple precincts. That's possible. We don't really know. It doesn't actually say. But that word in verse 6 called sound in Greek is phone. Again, you can hear words that we get in English from that, phone. It's a different word than was used back in verse 2, that word that's translated by the Nazbe, noise. That was the noise of the violent wind. 
So it makes more sense that the sound that drew the crowd of Jerusalem dwellers was the tongues of praises being loudly proclaimed and sounding rather clamorous and drawing people out. Maybe it was quiet and it was in the morning and it just drew many people out into the streets. The sound of the wind was given for the sake of the believing disciples to confirm for them that this was the day Jesus had spoken of. The Spirit has arrived and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The sound of the tongues was given for the sake of the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. We call them unbelieving. Remember, they're believers in God and they're devout, but they're not believers in Christ. They're not born again. For notice down in verse 11, what the Jewish people were amazed about here, they weren't going on to talk about the noise of the wind. They went on to speak of the mighty deeds of God, hearing that in their native tongues. That's what mesmerizes them. That's what enthralls them. That's what draws them in and makes them think about this. They're riveted not on the sound of the wind, but on this use of the languages. What is this? It's a little difficult to picture exactly what happened, but it must have been loud and it must have been amazing. So the miracle of the gift of languages was meant, listen, was meant as a sign for unbelievers. The miracle of the gift of languages was meant, according to Acts chapter 2, as a sign for unbelievers. Remember, Jesus, in his ministry to the Jews, he provided for them thousands of miracles. The Jews were trained in the Old Testament that when God raised up a prophet, the prophet would perform a sign. And if the sign came true, and if his doctrine was compatible with Moses' doctrine, then he was a true prophet of God. If he didn't provide a sign, or if he did and his doctrine did not harmonize with Moses's, then he was not a true prophet of God. He was a false prophet, and the people were not to listen to him. Jesus knew that, and Jesus provided the Jews with tons of miraculous signs. Miraculous signs were very important to the Jews. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians 1.22, he says, you know, the Greeks, they spend their time searching for wisdom, but the Jews, do you know what they do? They ask for signs, and that's putting it mildly. They demand signs, miraculous signs. And that is what tongues served as, a whopper of a miraculous sign. Again, we need to use the apostolic teaching in the letters, in the epistles of the New Testament to confirm this. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22, it directly states what the purpose of the gift of languages is. And there Paul writes this, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Is there anything unclear about that? It's very clear. Why did God provide the gift of languages, answer as a miraculous sign to the unbelieving Jews that the time of the new covenant, the time of the arrival of the Spirit had come? Tongues were a sign to lead the unbelieving Jews to faith in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And by the way, that is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2 as we continue to read in the chapter. 
Jews are led in mass to faith in Jesus as Messiah. Today, some people say, but I'm Jewish. I can't believe in Jesus. All the believers in Jesus were Jewish to start with. And thousands of Jews believed in Jesus. And many of them did so because of this sign on Pentecost. Not to mention Peter's great preaching on that day, too. Peter particularly mentions this sign toward the end of his sermon. If you glance down at verse 33, you see he mentions this sign and possibly some of the other signs. And he he mentions them to say, you Jews know, you can sense something has happened here with the Holy Spirit because you can see the signs. You may be kind of dense when it comes to spiritual things, but you can't miss the sign. It's there for you. It was provided for you. It got their attention, by the way. And then Peter's words led them to Christ. Tongues were a sign to the unbelieving Jews that something great was happening on that day of Pentecost. Now, please keep in mind that the disciples did not need to speak in those other languages in order to communicate the gospel effectively to their brethren. Because they could have just spoken in Greek because Greek was the lingua franca of the day. Or to the east of Israel and east of the Roman Empire, many of the Jews who were in the diaspora commonly spoke Aramaic. They could have spoken that. That would have been just fine. They would have all understood and it would have been great. I doubt that when Peter starts preaching that he chose another tongue or that the Holy Spirit had him in another different tongue. He spoke in a normal tongue. But this sign was meant for a purpose. It was meant to tell this broad swath of Jews from all over the globe, God is doing something now in this day, something special. This was a grand introduction to a new age, and the Jews had the front row seat to it. They were the ones who got to hear about it first because salvation is from who? The Jews, right? Salvation comes from the Jews, and so it's to the Jews first. And when God was beginning a new thing, he didn't do it quietly. He put it very publicly and he had them gathered from all over the world and brought them in. And then he did this miraculous sign for their sake. It told them God has kept his promise. God spoke through Jeremiah and God spoke through Isaiah and he spoke through Joel and he spoke through the other prophets. And he said, a day is coming. It's been a long time, but God has kept his promise to you Jews. This was the beginning of something that would extend beyond the borders of Israel. This was something that would begin to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant and bring blessing to the ends of the earth, to all the families of the world, where all of these languages were spoken. It was a sign that spoke of something that was going to grow and go beyond Jerusalem. It was not going to be contained. It was not a religion just for the Jews. It was a religion for all people. And you know what? The sign worked. Look at verse 7. It says, They were amazed and marveled, saying, Behold, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Notice the little tone there, by the way. And how is it that we each, we might say, you know, I don't want to pick on a state, but you know how it is. If you're from New York or you're from L.A. or D.C. and you grew up in certain areas, you think of some areas way out there in the country a little bit less. You know, you have a little bit of prejudice against them. You know, it's that kind of a sense. They're Galileans. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth, remember? What is all of this here? This can't be special. God chooses the weak things and the foolish things of this world to shame what? The wise and the strong, right? That's how God operates, and that's what he's doing. 
So it got their attention. It worked. They did not know, though, what it meant. They didn't know what to make of it. They were at a total loss. In fact, this is very interesting. In verse 6, that term that is translated bewildered by the NASB, sunkeo, that term is exactly the same term that is used in the Greek Old Testament in Genesis, that is the Septuagint there, the Greek Old Testament, for the confusion that happened, guess where? At the Tower of Babel. That's right. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 9. Back at the Tower of Babel, you remember the story. God confused the languages. Why? Because they were disobeying God. God said, scatter. They came together and said, let's build a great tower to make a name for ourselves, right? God comes down to see their great tower. By the way, I find that ironic for God to even find their tower. He had to come down to see what they were doing. It was so small from God's perspective, right? He comes down, he spots this tower, and he basically says, that's not what I told him to do. You know, I told them to scatter. And so he just confuses their languages and they're trying to build the bricks and do the project and they're getting on one another's nerves. And just overnight, the whole project, this massive project, probably the greatest building project post the flood anyways, it just comes to a halt immediately. And God did it on purpose. You're not going to be together. No, 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 no. You're going to spread. And that's the way it's going to be. And now the Jews here on Pentecost are standing together in Jerusalem and they're listening to a chorus of all these different languages from those faraway places and they also are confused. So you have confusion at Babel when you have a different kind of a confusion now. All the languages are coming together and this, this group of Galileans are speaking it and they're confused about that. What does that mean? Well, I think it is clear that at least at some level, Pentecost is meant to foreshadow the turning back of the Tower of Babel, the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Obviously, Tower of Babel in the world's sake has not been reversed. Babel resulted in in a needed separation. Babel resulted in a needed scattering. God didn't want unbelievers who were rebellious to be together. That was a bad thing. To have all unbelievers in the world cooperating together was not a good thing. It was a bad thing. And this is the only time there's been one world government in the world. And God looked at it and said, "Uh uh-uh, it's not happening. It's too much evil too quickly. God had a plan for the nations. He had a plan for the thousands of years. And so he scattered them so he could work his plan through those nations. But here, the miracle of Pentecost demonstrates that in Christ, listen, not in the world, in Christ... In the body of Christ, there is to be unity of the different peoples and tribes and, yes, tongues and, yes, nations. The unbelieving world must needs remain divided. God's people must be united. God was not happy with the unity of the unbelievers at Babel. They all spoke one language. They all were together in one place. They all were under one evil leadership. But they were up to no good. Their purpose was disobedient. Their purpose was blasphemous. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And God said, enough. I'll confuse your minds and your languages. And that will remain in confusion until the end times. When the end times come, the Bible makes it very clear that that one world government and that one world economy and that one world togetherness and that one world cooperation will happen again. Indeed, the forces of globalism are already very much alive in our world today. And beloved, 
it will not be a good thing. It'll be a very, very evil thing because the head of that system will be the man of sin or more commonly known, the Antichrist. That will not be a good thing when that happens. But in the church, God is showing that in Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, all are together. All are under one leadership. All are united. All are speaking the same praises of God. They're unified in spirit, even though their languages are different. People in the country of India today who are worshiping are one with us. People in the country of Mexico today who are worshiping Christ with the true gospel are one with us. People in South Africa today who are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah of Israel, are one with you and me. People in Australia, yes, even in Syria where they may be doing it, in private, where they may have to hide, or in China, where it's in the underground church. Their spirit is knit to our spirit, and we are knit to Christ, and we are one. And with one voice, we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Divisions necessary among unbelievers. It establishes nation against nation and keeps evil in checks and balances. But divisions in the body of Christ are disastrous. Because we're one body, one spirit, one faith, and one everything else. Pentecost, with the spirit of Jesus, begins the reversal of Babel. So that by the time we get to the book of Revelation, which is futuristic in the end times, you hear in Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song saying... Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. This, of course, is to Christ. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The gift of tongues was a sign to indicate that purpose. Samuel Waldron, in his book, To Be Continued, with a question mark, writes this, tongues mark the reversal of Babel and the universality of the new covenant. The curse of Babel divided the nations by imposing different languages. When on the day of Pentecost, the word of God was proclaimed in many tongues, this was a sign that the curse of Babel was now to be reversed. Many nations and peoples were to be reconciled in the one Christ and in his work of redemption, end quote. This is the purpose of talking in different languages. The signal to the Jews, unity of all peoples in their Messiah, praising God. Invariably, though, as straightforward as this text is, people, especially those caught up in churches who value ecstatic utterances and who equate them with the gift of tongues, have some objections. Things don't really need to be complicated, but because of poor teaching, people still have considerable confusion over this, which is supposed to be straightforward. And I share these with you just to dispel some of the confusion to aid you. For example, some have tried to justify speaking in ecstatic syllables by claiming that the miracle on the day of Pentecost was not actually in the speaking by the disciples, but was in the hearing by the Jerusalem crowd. 
Some have claimed that all of the disciples actually spoke in ecstatic languages, but God caused a miracle not in the speaking, but in the hearing. In other words, it came out ecstatic and went in organized language. Now that is what you call creative Bible interpretation. But it is not accurate. It does not pay attention to what is said. Please notice the text explicitly says in verse 4 that they spoke with other tongues. This is not rocket science, people. The reason they heard them speaking in other tongues was because that's exactly what they were doing. Wow, Pastor Tom had a lot to teach us from God's Word today about the gift of tongues given to the early church. What an amazing and miraculous day that was. That was such an incredible event in history when the Holy Spirit first gave the church the gift of tongues. And for those that heard the wonderful works of God being declared in their own tongue that day, it must have been quite the experience. If you enjoyed today's message on Discover Hope, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating to this ministry to help us expand the reach of the gospel. You can give securely online at hopebible.org. Do you live in the area of Columbia, Maryland? If so, you're invited to become part of our Sunday morning gatherings here at Hope Bible Church. Join us for a morning of Bible study, worship, and fellowship. Find out more by visiting our website. Again, that's hopebible.org. Unfortunately, there have been many misinterpretations of what happened on that day of Pentecost. There are those that try and downplay the events that day, and then others that try to make it into something it wasn't. Join us next time as Pastor Tom finishes his message, Gift of Tongues, Reversal of Babel, as we look further into understanding the gift of tongues and what God's Word says about its purpose in the church. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.